What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Kamish Wrap-Up Show. I'm here breaking down week one of the For the Fame 2021 season, and what a week it was. We had an extra four days added to our week. It seems like it's been forever, but week one is finally in the books. I'm going to go over some of the matchups and look forward to week two. I'm going to get all into it right now. Kamish Wrap-Up Show coming up next. I'm joining you in the shadow of a two-night WrestleMania and your commissioner is as committed as ever. Joining you at 1.30 in the morning, getting home from Woodside, Queens, after I just took in the second night of WrestleMania. And boy, I have some opinions on that. Um, if you'd like to get into that, maybe I'll, uh, we'll have a conversation on the side. But that's not why I'm here. I'm trying to keep this podcast to about 30 minutes so this way you guys can consume it, um, get what you need out of it. We'll talk a little bit uh, a little bit about what happened in week one and about what's going to happen in week two. And listen, week one was a, a marathon. It felt like forever. There were ebbs and flows. There were ups and downs. Uh, speaking from experience, I was down by like 45 on Wednesday and I chalked it up as a loss. And as some of you probably feel the same way, it hurts when you come back and you come up short. And I wound up losing by less than 10 after being down so big. I, among four other teams, have started the season 0-1, and that's not a good way to start the, the season. It feels, honestly, it feels bad, and it doesn't feel you waited all year. But you know what? There's 22 weeks left, and I know personally I'm going to be looking forward to turning around in week two. Um, but let's get into week one. So I'm going to start off with my matchup with Travis. So Travis is someone that Devin, Devin and I rank pretty high in the power rankings, and we saw that he went pitching heavy, and it showed this week. So he trotted out there Aaron Nola. He trotted out there Garrett Cole. And he got two starts out of both of them. And they both delivered. And I think that's the biggest difference for Travis this week than a lot of teams. He scored a, a decent amount of points, and his offense kind of stumbled at the end. But he was really able to rely on the fact that his pitching came up big, and he was able to get points when he needed them. So, for example... He had Garrett Cole go twice. Um, he had 12.1 innings pitched, got a win. He had only two earned runs, 21 Ks. So 21 Ks, that's 0.5 per K. That's a lot of goddamn points. It's 10.5 points for him just in strikeouts alone. And then not to mention he got Brandon Woodruff, had 11 innings pitched. That's two starts. Didn't really show a lot of what he had in, in the first start, but he definitely came out and could have went complete game. The Brewers took him out pretty early, and they definitely maybe pulled the trigger and were a little bit uh, nervous about his arm early on in the in in the year. So he was pulled with about seventy seven pitches, and I know for sure I was very nervous, potentially having not only a no hitter on my hands, but potentially a complete game shutout, and that would have been devastating. For I was already down big. The other guy that really showed off for Travis was Aaron Nola. 11 Ks, 10.2 innings pitch. Again, he's another guy who didn't have the ace stuff in his first start, but he came out and showed a little bit of a little bit about what he had in his second start. So right there, you have six points from Nola. You have 13.65 from Garrett Cole and then 7.4 from Brendan Woodruff. As compared to my aces, so my aces came out, and honestly. Didn't do much. Like Scherzer is my ace, and he is 
He pitched today, and honestly, I wasn't expecting much. He's going to get your strikeouts, but he got absolutely lit up. And I know you guys saw in the group chat, I predicted kind of tongue-in-cheek that Max Scherzer would go out there and have about 3.1 innings pitch. He gave up a home run in the first because that's what he always does, and he did. He, I only got 12 innings pitch out of two starts from him. He had 14 Ks. Most of them were in the second start, um, 7.10. He pitched well, honestly, and he kind of salvaged that start, the first one. But when you give up all those runs in the beginning, it's hard to go deep in the game, and that's what you really need from the pitchers as you guys are seeing. Um, offensively, I feel like I outslugged Travis. Um, I think Travis is going to need some help on offense. He got a lot of production from um, guys that maybe you really wouldn't think of. His most points were from Christian Vasquez offensively. And if that's going to be who he's relying on all year, he may be in trouble. He's going to need more from a guy like Paul Goldschmidt. He's going to need more from a guy like Dansby Swanson. And, of course, he's going to need more from Aaron Judge. So Judge gave him a little bit of scare this week, as most Yankee fans are aware of. Judge was sitting, I believe, three days, and they said it was general soreness or whatever they were saying that it potentially was going to be. But everyone's like, same old story. And Travis has to be really crossing his fingers that it's not same old story. And he's hoping for at least 155 games maybe 140 games from Judge, but it seems like the Yankees have a plan in place to keep him healthy for the games that they feel matter. They think the playoffs are a foregone conclusion, so they want to kind of keep Judge healthy until then, and that's the sad state of affairs. I don't think he can stay healthy and play 150 games, whether it be the body type, whether it be the power of the swing. It always seems to either be uh, a lower body injury or potentially like an oblique, and who knows? So it's really frustrating, and and Travis is going to get to know that. I think this is the first time he's owning Judge. I had Judge last year, and it's the same thing. You just kind of hold your breath every time he's out there, and when he's there, he's an elite player. He's a superstar, and he's going to carry your offense, but he has to be out there on the field. So um, he's going to be hoping to get a little bit more from Aaron Judge going forward. Um, But overall, I was very impressed with Travis's team. He was able to put together an impressive showing. It looked like he was going to be scoring the most points this week. He slowed down at the end scoring single digits in the last three days, it looked like. Yeah, or the last three days. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday, not a great weekend for Travis. And his ability to close it out is going to have to get better because if I got a little bit more, I probably could have come back, but I was just too far behind. And that's going to be something Travis is going to have to do. Um, He's going to need more from his offense, as I stated. But I was very impressed with his team. And I think it's going to um, bear, you know, we're going to bear witness to a different type of, Travis squad going forward. So Travis starts 0-1. I start, I mean, Travis starts 1-0 and I start 0-1. And you know what? We get back on the horse next week. So for the second matchup, let's get to the, to week one. I'm going on my phone, guys. So bear with me. So let's see. So let's go with Greg versus Perrier. And this was pretty close. And Perrier won on the back of the Joe Musgrove no hitter, obviously. He only won by eight points, and the fact that Joe Musgrove netted him, how many points did Musgrove get for him all week? Um, Musgrove wound up with 33.5 points, so you, you eliminate even half of that, he loses this week. So um, Musgrove, no one expected that, and it was the Padres' first no hitter in their team history, and good for them. I think that was the final team to not have a no hitter, and they finally checked that box. No one expected much from Joe Musgrove. I mean, He's a guy who is like a fourth starter for um, for the Astros, and then also, for, you know, he was the ace on the Pirates, and now he's 
I guess, a number five, maybe number four for San Diego. But that's a good offense. It's going to give him run support. And if he's going to go out there and throw a no-hitter, um, he, he obviously has no-hit stuff. He just showed it. He's going to be someone that can strike out the world, and he may be that ace that Perrier's looking for. And Perrier walks away with the win, scored the most points this week, so he has to be proud of himself. 191 points overall. So the most points scored for Batter Club. Greg, great showing from him. We expect that from him every week. And I have the pleasure, um, or I should say I fear playing him this week because he's going to come out and his team is definitely going to be looking for retribution. So it's going to be two 0-1s against each other. So looking at the matchup between Greg and Perrier, the most points scored offensively for each team. So it looked like... um, Freddie Freeman scored 12.45 points, so that's really you want a little bit more from Freddie throughout the week, maybe a tad more, not that much. Uh, For example, the most points that Perrier got was 16.15 from Mike Trout, and that's what you kind of expect from your superstar player. So uh, Trout came out swinging from April 1st, 2.1, 2.45, then 1.2, 2.65, 2.55, 3.25, and that's consistency. So that's what you need offensively, and he provided with the the stable offense for Perrier throughout the week, and it helped carry him. But truly, the Joel Musgrove no-hitter carried him across the line because if Greg would have played anybody else aside from Alicia, um, he would have won. So Greg is going for potentially defending his points title, and he's off to a good start. He's only uh, about eight points behind the lead of the points title. So if he's interested in such things, but I know he rather he would rather win the matchup. Um, looking at other pitching, I think Greg has to be happy with uh, some of the pitching that he got this week, especially with Lance Lynn. Lance Lynn with a complete game shutout. And I was texting some members of the league just about Lance Lynn in general, about how it's like, where did this come from? And obviously he's been doing it sort of in Texas and reinventing himself and learning how to pitch sort of like a Greg Maddox style where he's actually, you know, focusing on location, not so much velocity. But his velocity is up too, which is kind of shocking. Um, last year he was averaging around 93, 94 first fastball. And his last start, we had the complete game shutout for the White Sox. He was averaging a fastball of 97 miles per hour. So whatever he's doing is working. Hopefully it's um, legitimate, and hopefully it's something he can continue. But that is a huge snag for Greg. And I remember seeing Lance Lynn high in the rankings, and I'm sure most of you have seen that. Lance Lynn is, I don't, I don't know, there's something about him that screams like he's going to um, be worse than he's projected. And you know what? He's off to a great start, and kudos to Greg for drafting him. Uh, the other guy, obviously, he got two great starts from Shane Bieber. So two quality starts. Um, double-digit Ks each time. So you know what you're getting out of Bieber, and he's going to be someone that Greg can rely on for a quality start or two of them, depending on the way the week uh, formats itself with how many times he can pitch. So uh, Greg has nothing to worry about. He scored a lot of points, and it was just kind of um, an unlucky fact that he played the team that that scored the most points. So uh, Greg has nothing to fear. His team looks absolutely amazing, and I think he is looking forward to another playoff uh, S-X-S season. So we'll see next week if Greg can get off the snide and start 1-1 one and, one and put me at an 0-2. Uh, third matchup, Bazada and Devin. So this was a great matchup as well. And as of Sunday, it was within reach for both teams. Um, 
it seemed like Aroldis Chapman um, kind of sowed um, Bazada's fate. So having Aroldis get the win for Devin, I'm pretty sure that's what happened. Yep, got the win in extra innings with the three Ks, and that extra that extra couple points really put Devin over the hump and kind of put it to bed. But um, I thought this quote was great from Bazada for uh, about his loss. Him and I were texting about the end of the week, and he said, Chapman, Chapman getting the W beat me like I was his wife. <laughs> so I laughed at that. Um, it's kind of some dark humor, but it's true. Bazada wasn't, wasn't able to pull off the comeback, but a great week for him. He's someone that was ranked pretty low in everyone's power rankings, and I thought it was a great showing for him. Um, 152 points was the least amount of points, but... He definitely got a lot of production from places that he is relying on. The guy that we're going to be looking at week to week is a guy like Max Fried. So let's look at his starts. Uh, Max Fried was kind of the guy people focused on and said Bazada kind of reached for him. And I don't know if it's so much a reach because the more you look at it, Max Fried is someone who's their ace, but um, he needs more than what he did this week if Bazada is going to be making a deep playoff run. So let's look at what Max Fried did this week. Um, not great. 2.25 points. He had seven innings pitch between two starts, seven earned runs, and 11 Ks. That's not that's not what you need from an ace. But in turn, he got ace production from Jose Barrios. Um, 20 Ks, two wins, only gave up two earned runs, had one quality start. Absolutely amazing. He also got some good starting pitching from Kikuchi this week, um, who is someone that he probably wasn't expecting much from. Uh, he got 10.2 points, 16 Ks. So that's some good production from him. Um, offensively, that's some highlights that he had from different players. Um, offensively, Suarez had a big week for him. Went six for 29 with, um, seven runs scored, which is huge. He's getting on base for the Reds and the Reds are some, a team that is surprising a few people. Uh, offensively, they always had the, the production and the firepower, obviously Castellanos and Suarez, and, uh, they're able to put up the runs, but pitching should be an issue for them. Um, but right now they're scoring a lot of runs and they're winning. So good for them. And it's good for baseball if Cincinnati can keep it together in a division that's not so great. So we'll see what happens there. Offensively as well, Bazada got um, some good production from Matt Olson. Um, but he's going to need a little bit more. And we will see. Like a big, a big thing for him is the fact that Jeff McNeil went one for 13. Um, aside from that one home run, absolutely nothing going on for him. So Jeff McNeil needs to get going for him. And Mookie Betts being day-to-day has to have Bazada kind of holding his holding his breath. So the update on Mookie was that he was out due to back stiffness, and that's not what you want. Dave Roberts said after Saturday's game um, that he's not he wasn't gonna play on Sunday, and they didn't really elaborate more than the fact that it's just a just a stiff back. Um, and the hope is for Betts to return to the lineup on Tuesday against the Rockies. Because the Dodgers don't play Monday, so they built an off day. Um, but you know Roberts and L.A. are not going to rush him back because the Dodgers are going to be uh, right in the mix, and they have enough firepower to kind of wait it out, and that's not great for fantasy owners. And Bazada has to be keeping his fingers crossed that Betts is okay. A uh, huge letdown for him this week was um, Nate Lau from oh, – Nate Lowe, or Lau, whatever you want to say. Nate Lowe from the Texas Rangers – and his utility spot only had less than a point, so that's not what you want. Um, but we shall see what happens next week for Bazada. Fourth matchup, 
Karen and Jimmy. So this matchup was close all week until Karen pulled away on Sunday. And Jimmy was right there. I think Jimmy had the lead late Saturday night. So he just couldn't put the finishing touches on what would have been a great signature win to start a season. So he starts 0-1, and that has to feel um, kind of shitty for him because he had high hopes going into the season, and like starting off with a win would be great. Not that starting off 0-1 is detrimental, but it's a kind of a psyche thing. And Karen, who is the champ, starts off 1-0, and she was sort of disrespected in the power rankings, so I think she has a little bit of a vendetta to prove everybody wrong. So looking at some of their um, their matchups and the total points, offensively, Whit Merrifield had a big week for, for Karen, 14.8 points. Big week for her. Uh, Brian Byron Buxton had a huge week, as I, I think Devin mentioned in the chat. He's batting 500, so if the Twins get that type of production from him, um, I think they'd be very happy. Bryce Harper with 12.3 points. Um, Pitching-wise, she got you know 6.6 points from Darvish. Ryu had 6.5. Mark Melanson had a big week for her, and like I feel like he's the only reliever that had a big week with 10 points. She got a big start from um, from Zach Wheeler this week. Um, she's a little bit worried about Teoscar Hernandez, who had a big opening day, but he's sort of been hampered with sort of a slump, and now he's on the COVID-19 list. So she's got to keep an eye on that because hopefully it's not a lingering issue for him, and hopefully he can get back to the lineup as soon as possible. For Jimmy... Mountcastle had a good week for him. I thought that was something that looked very promising for him. He took Mountcastle a little bit high, and we talked a little bit about that in the draft review, that Mountcastle was someone that he targeted and wanted him, but he went a little bit high. Who knows what would have happened if he just waited. He probably would have been there for him. Uh, Jimmy wound up picking up India, who I dropped as his second baseman, or I think he's playing my third, depending on where he wants to put him. Uh, so not great. The guy's been slumping. He was tearing the cover off the ball in spring training, but he hasn't really found his niche in uh, Cincinnati yet. But nice pickup for Jimmy. I didn't have room because I had a million injuries, which we'll talk about. Maybe I'm not making excuses, but my whole goddamn team is on the IL, so that was hard to manage. Uh, Nelson Cruz had a big week for Jimmy, and the guy just like is unbelievable. He just hits and hits and hits, and he's gonna. He feels like he can hit until he's sixty. 17.9 points for him. Um, unbelievable. He He's just unbelievable. And the fact that he has hit, he had two home runs on April 5th. He had a home run on April 6th. Had another on April 10th. He continues to mash the ball and he's hitting in big, big stretches. He had five RBIs on April 5th. He's already in double digit RBIs and He's ranked seven. Not that we're looking at the season ranks right now, but he's ranked seventh in points, and that's pretty big for him. Um, Jimmy got a nice start from Bauer, but something to keep an eye on is the fact that the MLB is investigating uh, the fact that he has foreign substances on the ball, and they took it in for collection. So that's something to watch because that could be huge if, in a negative way, if Bauer winds up leaving Jimmy in the lurch being suspended or whatever. But it seems the MLB has sort of a hard-on to get catch Bauer in the act of doing something illegal and Bauer's saying that he is you know not doing anything wrong so we will see what happens they didn't take the ball for no other re- for no reason you know that so they're looking into it and they have uh, they have all intent of finding and cracking down on all this substance uh, substance stuff on the balls whether it be pine tar or whatever other substance that's increasing spin rate so that's something to keep an eye out um, we will definitely discuss that more 
Shohei had a big week offensively for for Jimmy, and he's ranked twelfth overall in points, and that's something to watch out for. The Angels are playing Otani offensively. Seems like pretty regularly. He um he's played played pretty much in every game aside from the one that got postponed today. He's hitting in the lineup. Um, pitching, we're not really seeing a lot much of him. We saw that one start, and he got sort of wrecked at home plate with the ankle being twisted. He looked good for spurts, but then, you know, he kind of imploded. So offensively, they're kind of prioritizing him right now. I am the unfortunate owner of the pitcher version of him. So there hasn't been much on that front. He was supposed to start today, and they decided not to do it, but it was postponed anyway. Um, but overall, I thought it was a good week for the champ. She starts 1-0, and and Jimmy looks to get back to 1-1 and because he doesn't want to fall too far out of it. You know, like starting 0-2 may be pretty detrimental for a team that is consistently not, uh, not in the playoff race. And I'm, I don't want to speak in hyperbole, but it could be very damaging to his psyche. And Jimmy's sort of on, on this mission to get back to the playoffs after so many years missing. Starting off 0-2 is not what he wants. So this is a big week for him coming up. And then finally, the last matchup we have was our first matchup ever for Nick and then played Alicia. So Alicia starts 1-0. Very rare. She got her first win. And that's another that's, Alicia is another team that is trying to get back into the playoffs and someone who's trying to tra- change the trend of how her seasons have been going. And I thought it was a really good showing for Nick. He put up a good showing, but Alicia sort of pulled away at the end and... You know, she was pretty well-rounded offensively. She had double-digit points from, let's see, from Real Muto, from Muncie, from Devers, from Brichette, from Soto, from Dylan Carlson, from Vlad. So, and then tailored with that, she had Jacob DeGrom go out there, who was absolutely robbed of a win um, multiple times. And seems to be the trend for DeGrom. As Met fans know, DeGrom is, they never score for DeGrom, but he is absolutely filthy. I, I mean, I watched both of his starts, and he is just the absolute best player pitcher in baseball. It's just a shame that um, he's, I think the stat was he should have around, I think they blew like 35 of his wins. That might, that might sound like a little bit much, but maybe that's actually the number. It's also two o'clock in the morning, but um, he, moral of the story is he deserves better and he's absolutely unbelievable to watch. He's so much fun. He tops out around a hundred for his fastball and he's absolutely unhittable when he's right. So the Marlins kind of got to him a few times, but uh, Alicia definitely benefited from all those strikeouts that continue to pepper the zone for him. Zach Granke had double-digit points for her. Um, and pretty much that's that's it for her. Offensively was what really carried her. Double-digit points will do that for her. The fact that um, the difference really was, if you look at it, is the fact that Nick got nothing from his catcher position. James McCann had 2.35 points. And Alicia had 10.5. That's the difference right there. Um, and then you also compare the, the third baseman. Sano had 2.3 for Nick. Devers had 12.8. And then the bigger difference as well um, was his aces. I mean, he got a similar production from Kershaw, but the secondary pitching didn't really do much. Dallas Keuchel had 0.5 points. So not a great week for the rest of his pitching. Um, but a good week overall offensively he got 24.45 points but has to be the most points um of the week for one player i mean potentially but that's a lot of points for offensively and he had that i think he had three home runs today so or yesterday nick was able to have 
some promising signs going into week two. And he doesn't want to start 0-2 either, so we will see what happens next week for him. Looking forward to week two, we have some really good matchups. We have 0-1 me versus 0-1 Greg. Someone has to start um, 0-2. And that's not a great start for whoever you want to, whoever uh, starts 0-2. And that's bad for your psyche. And yes, there's 22 weeks. Yes, you could string off 20 wins in a row and go 20-2. But going 0-2, it's hard to look at that record. And I definitely don't want to be doing that myself. And going forward, I haven't really mapped out the double starts. And I, you know, going forward, I may do that. I may be able to put more research into it and figure out who's getting multiple starts and be able to have a discussion about what that will look like. Um, but being that I'm doing this so late after getting home after watching WrestleMania, I would just want to get on here and just have a conversation with you guys about what we're expecting going into week two. Uh, we have Karen, who's 1-0, and versus a 1-0 and Perrier. So one of them is going back down to 2-1-2. and uh, one and two. I mean 1-1, one and one, I'm sorry. And then the other will go to... 2-0, which would be a great start for either of them. We have Alicia versus Devin. We have Travis versus Jimmy. And we have Bazada versus Nick. So some good matchups. Keep in mind, guys, it's from Sunday. I mean, from Monday to Sunday. So the point totals will be much different. We're not going to have the luxury of having all those days in between. So if you go down big, you're not going to have that many days to catch up. So week one is sort of... Always a weird week because of the fact that the season starts at the end of the week and Yahoo stretches it. I think the only other time that happens is when we have the All-Star break. I'm pretty sure that happens as well. It might be a weird week because they come back at the end of the week. I'd have to look into that. But for the most part, most of the weeks and most of the matchups are going to be from Monday until Sunday. So like I said, projected points will look much different. We're not going to have teams scoring 190 points. It's going to be somewhere around... Probably 111, 120. Maybe we're going to have some teams score less than 100. We'll see what happens. I know if I would have had just the week going forward, I did not have a good first couple days. Um, I scored most of my points later on in the week. So that is something to look out for. And it's definitely, you don't want to go down uh, too early. Um, the other challenging thing now, and maybe a little bit more of a benefit, was that everyone had to stretch out six roster moves in how many days is that 11 days so now you're gonna have only a week and six roster moves and now we're gonna really see the strategy of the streaming and we're gonna see the strategy of being able to organize your rosters because i know a lot of a lot of the teams were saying that they have a lot of moves they need to make i know i had you know tim anderson i can't even put him on the il right now because of the fact i have so many people injured and i couldn't drop anybody to pick somebody up and um, in a different scenario, I may have picked up a different pitcher, maybe to stream and try to catch up to Travis at the end of uh, at the end of the week. But I wasn't able to do that because I had to manage my roster because of all the injuries. And I'm not the only team dealing with that. I understand that there's a lot of people dealing with injuries. Um, we shall see what happens uh, with that. But it's important for everyone to understand that it's going to be challenging and you have to kind of figure out a nice happy medium of where you want to be with um, your moves. Because some people use them all in the beginning and then all of a sudden you wind up with no moves at the end of the week. And then you run into a problem when you have injuries like I did this week. Um, you know, that that was something that I looked at. Like Fernando Tatis going down was um, 
really horrible and I feel I still feel like there's more to it than they're saying the the Padres are not really being clear about the extent of the injury but they're saying he's going to be back and they're saying it is whatever the shoulder dislocation whatever the fancy word is like in sub subluxation I think it was called but just watching it live it felt bigger than just a 10-day DL stint and that's just the way I saw it and I think eventually whether it be at the end of the year, if he could somehow rehab it and kind of stay healthy all year, it's going to be something that bothers him. And I'm worried about it, truly. Um, and not only for my fantasy team, but for baseball. And I think Fernando Tatis Jr. being healthy and being the face of baseball is is good for them. And it helps the publicity and it helps bring in younger fans. Um, but he can't do that if he's not on the field. And I'm hoping for the best, selfishly, because I want it to be... Good news for me, but I'm also hoping for the fact that baseball needs him and he's someone that is always going to be better when he's on the field. Um, so yeah, just keep that stuff in mind when you're making moves because six is sort of the sweet spot we found and you want to be able to make your roster moves and field a fully healthy lineup at the end of the week or you know throughout the whole week, I should say. Um, some of the things I want to kind of touch on MLB news. So just want to touch on the fact that Musgrove and Caratini. So obviously we had the no hitter and Perrier was the recipient of that. Um, Joe Musgrove, he was newly acquired by the San Diego Padres. Um, and he threw the first no hitter in the franchise history and that has to be huge for him. And if you guys saw any of the stories, he grew up a Padres fan. Uh, huge, huge. There's a picture of him with Adrian Gonzalez. Um, and I mean, at the time he still was, I think, I think he's six, four is a huge guy, but it was funny to see. That's like, it, it's gotta be surreal for him to be etched into lore of his favorite franchise. Um, and you would have thought it'd be someone like you Darvish could have been Blake Snell, but nope, it was right-hander Joe Musgrove, um, facing a, you know, one of the worst lineups in baseball with Texas Rangers. He didn't really have his fastball. And he relied mostly on secondary pitches, and it proved to be a great decision. So he had 112 pitches, 77 pitches were strikes, um, and he dominated with a slider. So if you go back and watch that, that's a very promising sight for Perrier and for the Padres. Ten strikeouts for Joe Musgrove, and I thought that was awesome. So some of that, go back and watch the highlights. The sliders were absolutely filthy. There was an 86-mile-per-hour filth, filthy, filthy slider that um, he finished. I believe it was Kiner Falefa early on in the game and unbelievably, unbelievably sick. So good for Joe Musgrove. Good for Perrier. Um, like I said, he's a San Diego native. He grew up a Padres fan. He chose number 44 because he's a huge Jake Peavy fan. And he said throwing the first no hitter in Padres history wasn't even on his radar when he tra was traded to the club this off season, but it felt good obviously because he's a hometown kid. Um, so his cap from his no hitter and, and the ball from the game are headed to the baseball hall of fame. So that's be kind of surreal for him. And then a secondary winner to come out of Musgrove's no hitter is the, is the fact that Victor Caratini, um, he caught his second no hitter. So if you guys remember, he caught Alec Mills, no hitter on the Cubs. And he's the first starting catcher in MLB history to catch consecutive no hitters for different teams. So Alec Mills was the last no hitter, um, before this. So Caratini was kind of a good luck charm for both of them. And what gets dismissed a lot is the fact that catchers have a big part in the success of 
the pitchers for no hitters. So they don't really get a lot of love, and you really don't know a lot of the pitcher, the, a lot of the catchers that are the second half and no hitter. But there's got to be a reason the guy like Carlos Ruiz was a part of a few of them. So they deserve love too, and then good for Victor Carantini. Um, and if he joins a one-two-three, if, if if he can be the third guy in that pitching rotation that can kind of take Clevenger's spot, Darvish, Snell, and Musgrove, it will kind of help them compete with the mighty Dodgers, and I think that's uh, something to watch. Um, other things to watch for, obviously, the Mets and the Yankees didn't have great weeks. They both struggled, both offensively. The Yankees' bullpen looked good, and I thought the Mets' bullpen didn't look good at all, so they both had different struggles. Uh, offensively, the Mets did struggle, obviously, in the DeGrom start. DeGrom looked amazing. Um, it's early in the season, but aside, I mean, where do you even start? Like, obviously, you had the Conforto lean into a pitch that was sort of, whether you believe, whatever, if you if you hold it against Conforto, but it was just a bad call overall. The game should not have been finished that way. It's kind of a disgrace, in my opinion, and I know there's a lot of chatter going on in the group chat about it. But what's the point of review? I know it's not a reviewable play, but what's the point of review if you can't get it right? And I absolutely think that they got it wrong. And the fact that the umpire came out and said he got it wrong and you can't fix it, that's something that baseball needs to look into because if this happens in the World Series, if it happens in a playoff game, that's you know it's such a bad look for baseball and they need to get ahead of it now. They got lucky it happened in an April game because if this happens on the biggest stage that they have, we're going to be dealing with much, much bigger issues. So for a league that's so concerned with um, the character of the game and the, and the quality of the game and the sanctity of the game, they need to get that fixed. And if you want um, people to take your sport seriously and take your sport and respect it, you need to have the ability to get the calls right, especially when it's clear as day. That was a called strike. The umpire called it a strike, then called it a hit by pitch, and the game was over. So not great on that end. But you know what? Kudos to Conforto for putting, you know, trying his best to win the game. And I think he, what he said after the fact was perfect. It's not something he's proud of. And you know what? The umpire could have made the, the right call and then we wouldn't be dealing with it. But nevertheless, the Mets and Yankees did not play well. The Yankees lost a series against the Rays and the Mets wasted the gem for DeGrom. Um, you know, obviously it's a small sample size, but, you know, the Mets have only played five games of the 2021 season. Um, but there's already a clear and disturbing trend, obviously, with Jacob DeGrom being wasted. The Mets offense gave zero run support, and they lost 3 nothing to the Marlins. So despite a career-high 14-strikeout performance, DeGrom wasn't able to get his first win. So what else could the guy do? 14, 14 strikeouts, 8 innings pitched. The guy deserved more than zero run support. Um, the Mets are somehow 0-2 in DeGrom starts this year, despite the fact he has a less than one ERA, 0.64 to be 0.64 exact of the ERA. And he's a two-time Cy Young winner, so you're wasting the twilight and the best years of his career, and it's horrible to watch. Um, and on Saturday, obviously, the lineup finished 3-for-28, and that's not a lineup that you expect that from. They have a lot of firepower between Lindor, between Conforto, between Alonzo, McNeil, they should be hitting and hitting the ball all over the field. And especially in DeGrom starts, you need to be winning. I mean, there's no reason that you are wasting the, the performance by DeGrom. So if they're going to be doing that, that's not something that, um, it's not something that's, that's conducive for a world series winning team. As for the Yankees, 
all the Yankee fans know. Um, we have the issues with first base because obviously Luke Voigt is hurt. So we have kind of the swinging carousel of Jay Bruce getting too much playing time and obviously moving DJ all over the, the infield. So with Luke Voigt out, this is going to have to be going on. Obviously, Rugnet Ordor was in the lineup this week. Uh, I should say yesterday or today, whatever, Sunday. He got the game-winning hit. Hopefully that will say goodbye to Jay Bruce's playing time. But the bigger issue at hand here is the fact that Glaber Torres is struggling, struggling mightily at uh, short. And that's not going away anytime soon. So Glaber Torres is not a natural shortstop. And no matter what they do, they can't hide it. So that's going to be something that they're going to have to figure out and figure out fast because having that problem is not going away. So Friday's infield was DJ at first. I mean, no, DJ was at, at third. Jay Bruce was at first. Tyler Wade was at second. Glaber Torres was a shortstop. So Saturday, obviously Gio played third. LeMayu played second. Bruce at first and Torres at short. Then Sunday was LeMayu at first. Torres at short. Rochelle at third. And now Rugnet was playing second. Um, and now Wade got sent back down. So... For a World Series level team, like I guess you could look at the bright side and talk about how they have flexibility and they're able to put guys in different parts of the field, but that's putting lipstick on a pig, as Michael Kay would say. You need to look at it this way. Guys should play where they're supposed to be, and the Yankees are going to have to figure out the best place to put players, and shortstop is not the best place to put Labor Torres because he struggles there. And... If he continues to struggle defensively, no matter what he puts up at offense, and he's not doing much right now, you're not going to be able to win big games because defense is what wins championships, and Glaber Torres is a glaring, glaring, glaring problem that they have in the infield. So the, the most obvious thing you should do is with the injuries, you can actually start Glaber. Like the day that Urshela was hurt, you could have put Glaber at second, and then had DJ play short, but they don't want to do that because they don't want to get in Glaber's head because, or for whatever reason, like kind of admit that they made a a, a bad decision about put, uh, committing to Glaber at shortstop. But mark these words right here on April, what's today's date? April 12th, 2021. They are going heavy after the shortstop class of uh, the free agency class, I should say. And they're going to go after Corey Seager. And I think they're going to have to throw big money at him. And I don't think they like it but they need a natural shortstop and then Glaber needs to be playing second base and they need to figure out a spot to put DJ for the remainder of his contract, whether it be first base or third and figure out where Urshela goes. They have to figure out a consistent lineup and figure out a way to have guys know where they're playing every single time they're out there because right now the carousel is not working and no matter how you mash up the offense, and yeah, they won today, they lost the series, but they, they won today. They could have been swept, and it didn't look good. But, listen, it's early on in the season. I think the Yankees will be okay, but that's something to really watch out for. And Yes, in fantasy, we don't get points. I mean, you lose points for errors and all that, but defense does affect offense because if you have the yips in the field and like you're kind of thinking about when the ball's going to be hit to you, you can't focus offensively, and I really think that's going on with Glaber right now. And... I'm hoping that they figure it out.
but it seems like shortstop is not the spot for Glaber. And it sucks because he's someone who is pretty good defensively when he's playing second base. It's just, he's not, he doesn't have the range to be playing shortstop. The other thing I thought I got into it a little bit about that, but um, I want to recognize Byron Buxton um, batting 500. He's off to a really hot start and he's playing to his potential after years and years of like being stuck with the injury bug and just not hitting well. He sort of was like one of those prospects that just never uh, flourished. And maybe this is the year for him. Um, since his debut in 2015, Buxton's only played in 53% of the Twins games. So it's really not for lack of talent. It's lack of ability to stay in the field. Um, but this year, eight of nine games, Buxton's in the lineup. And I think he was rested one day. And he's one of the best hitters in baseball right now. So if you watch his swing, through nine games, he's hitting 481 with a 1.73 OPS. So that's amazing. And we're finally seeing the Buxton that potentially... I think it was taken one or, or two overall from the Twins when they were when they were drafting and drafting him, and he is showing that right now. Um, so something to really watch out for. And if Buxton is that player, we could really be looking at the emer- the emergence of someone who um, could be an elite elite fantasy producer for Karen. And if she got, let's see where she got him. So Buxton. Obviously not a keeper. Let's go to the draft. The app is pretty cool. I guess you guys can go to the uh, actual page, and they have the draft results on here. So go to Karen's team. She took Buxton um, in the 13th round. So that's pretty elite production. So guys that went in the 13th round, let's go to the 13th round and see players that were taken. I'm, and I may be just getting ahead of myself, but... If he's going to play like this all year, guys bef- that went before Byron Buxton, um, mostly pitchers, but um, Clint Frazier, Javi Baez, Salvi Perez. I mean, I got Altuve in the 12th round. Will Smith, Alec Bohm, uh, Gary L. Jr., Max Muncie, Matt Olson. So Buxton right now is playing like a Mike Trout. And like it may be too soon to be talking about that, but he has the talent. Obviously, he has all the five tools and the thing that's great about it is when he hits triples and he hits extra base hits and he steals bases and he hits for power. So he has all the tools. It's just, it's a matter of him staying healthy. Um, and I guess the one other thing I want to mention is the nationals. They continue to be kind of stung by the COVID bug and it's probably their own doing. They got the whole opening series canceled, which affected all of the fantasy matchups. So Scherzer would have got an extra start, I think for me, and I'm sure it affected the Grom start and I'm sure it affected all the Mets offensive stats and affected all the Nats offensive stats. So that's something that we're going to, that's like the 2021 world we live in. We have to deal with that sort of issue with fantasy in real life. And it's a small issue, but it's something you have to consider when you have matchups because you might have games be canceled or your star player doesn't get to play because he was exposed or whatever. That's something we have to think of. Um, They had a whole bunch. I think their whole squad, their whole team was on the COVID positive list. Um, so the COVID-19 related losses meant nine players, including Corbin, Kyle Schwarber. They were missing to start the season. Um, and it was really unfortunate to watch. So once the Nats were clear to start, um, they got bodied by the Braves and the Dodgers. Uh, Juan Soto obviously has been hitting the ball over the field, as we talked about with Alicia's team. Um, he did his best to keep the Nats in Saturday's game, but, um, his two home runs, home runs and three RBIs were not enough. 
Soto, obviously, as I talked about, I have a huge, you know, man crush on the dude. I think he's one of the best players in baseball. I mean, if not the second best player or the best player in baseball, um, he's going to need help in that lineup. There's no way he can do it all himself. And Trey Turner has to do his part. Um, and their lineup is filled with guys that have potential like Kyle Schwarber and Josh Bell. Um, so there's a lot for them to live up to because there's a lot of talent in that NL East. And even the, the team that's supposed to be bottom of the barrel, which is the Marlins, show that they can hang. And, you know, they did some damage against the Mets this uh, this weekend. So that's no – they can't just show up and win. And Juan Soto is going to have to um, get more help because he right now is doing his best to keep them in. And hopefully this COVID scare is the one thing that – the blip on the radar and we don't have to deal with it again. But we all know it's going to be there. I mean, most teams are getting vaccinated at this point, full teams. I know the Yankees got vaccinated. I know the Astros got vaccinated. So hopefully we're not dealing with canceled games due to COVID and all that stuff. But it is a reality in the world we live in. So that is something to consider and keep an eye on. But I'm going to end the podcast here. I think you guys, um, you know, I give you guys all the information I pretty much have. I appreciate you guys listening, and again, I appreciate you guys uh, setting your lineups and being active in the group chat. It's been a great first week. I'm looking forward to the second week of the season. We are in full swing of things, setting lineups every day, um, seeing the active free agent wire and seeing people add drop people all week has been fun. It's been awesome chatting with you guys as the games are on. I know personally I'm watching, obviously I watch the Yankees every day when they're on, but my situation right now, especially with the week that was with WrestleMania, I have two TVs set up in my living room where I constantly have either two wrestling shows on, a wrestling show and baseball. And for baseball season, I'll obviously have two games on at one time. So I'm consuming loads and loads of baseball. It's so great to have it back. I'm so happy to have it back and having fans in the buildings and bringing some real legitimate noise and a different energy to the game. It just It's much, much better than... Uh, last year that just felt like a surreal um, season that just didn't feel the same and it's feeling a little bit normal and life's feeling a little bit more normal nowadays and I'm hoping we can keep trending upwards and start getting back into the things that we um, love to do. I'm hoping to get out to a baseball game this year whether it be in the summer or maybe the spring well we shall see hopefully we do maybe uh, you guys will do the same I think it'd be awesome. Um. Just give me your feedback on the podcast of the format. I'm, I would like to get some of you guys on here. I would like to have more of a conversation-driven thing on Sunday. Obviously, today was a little weird because I got home late. Um, I wasn't even sure if I was going to be recording. I was going to try to record in the car on my on my way home. But then it was really shitty out, as you guys know. It's like been raining all day, and it's whatever. I wanted to be safe on the road. And the quality may have not been great if I was doing it on my phone in the car. But... Nevertheless, I was able to record this for you guys. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you guys have a great Monday. Remember to set your lineups and remember to, um, yeah, do all that stuff. Thank you guys for listening so much. Kamish out. I'm on my own.